the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you in association with Future Forex, crypto asset arbitrage specialists. Future Forex Arbitrage Services is an authorized financial services provider, FSP number 51884. Visit futureforex.co.za to find out more. Remember, the content of Magic Markets podcasts is for information purposes only and is not financial advice. Please speak to your financial advisor. Welcome to episode 83 of Magic Markets, and it's all about tales from the crypto in this particular case. So it's been a pretty rough year for those of you who hold actually any coins whatsoever, and we'll get into that a little bit. But before you get worried that we're about to shill a couple of coins named after dogs and who knows what else, uh, our guest today is someone you've possibly heard from before if you've been a long-time listener of Magic Markets, and that is Harry from Future Forex. So they offer fantastic Bitcoin arbitrage services, and as I think we'll explore on this show, I think it's the only way you could really have made money from crypto this year, unless you were short, which is uh, rather brave. So, uh, Harry, before I welcome you all the way from Portugal, where you're currently on a bit of a workcation, uh, let me first say hello to Mo up in Joburg. I'm glad we got our load shedding schedules to work this week, Mo. Yeah, Ghost, always a pleasure doing this with you. And I think the only thing worse than the crash we've seen in the crypto markets is ESCOM's load shedding schedule. I mean, that's been absolutely horrendous. So glad that we could schedule this together. Harry, always a pleasure having you on the show. And I mean, for our listeners, our longtime listeners, Harry's no stranger. You know, he's been on, he's from, as Ghost said, Future Forex. And we thought of no one better to actually bring on the show to talk to us about what's actually going on in these crypto markets. It's been really nuts out there. Very hairy. Lots of people losing lots of money. Uh, but thankfully, from what we hear, those people are not the future Forex customers who seem to have done quite well through all of this. So, Harry, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure having you here. And we're hoping you can shine some light on this for us and let us know what's actually been going on. Yeah, Mo, Ghost, it's an absolute pleasure to be here again. Thanks so much for the invite. And I'm actually quite excited to not only uh, shed some light on what's been happening in the crypto space in general, but also to brag about the fact that all our customers remain very much profitable, healthy profits at that. So a very exciting time for me to advertise what we do. Yeah, especially in a bear market where it's been pretty hideous everywhere. And today was another rough day on the equities market. (laughs) Very, very ugly on the JSC. And I guess that's the point is, you know, the crypto arbitrage is actually basically something you would think about in the context of like an alternatives portfolio. It's actually not a it's not a position per se, or it is, but for a very short space of time, right? I mean, it's something that makes money quickly and then you do it again and then you do it again. But I think before we get into the mechanics of how that arbitrage actually works, I mean, Harry, it'll be good to get your overview. You know, what has happened to crypto this year in your own words? What's going on? Yeah, Ghost, it's a, it's a great question. I'm going to try break it down to the best of my abilities. Um, and 
I'm going to actually start with the macroeconomics of it all. So there was a stage where people said what's so great about crypto is that it's completely uncorrelated with the markets. And that's been disproved over and over and over again to a point where you don't hear of those people anymore. That uh, that rhetoric doesn't, uh, doesn't come around anymore. People have pretty much accepted that uh, crypto performs... Uh, akin to a risky asset and is correlated to, for example, the rand against the dollar, maybe not during load shedding in particular, but uh, but typically um, maybe the stock market in general. Um, and that continues to be the case. So um, even, even when crypto had a boom period during COVID, we saw so did the S&P, so did the stock markets in general. So it really is quite heavily correlated to the markets in general. And as you'll know better than anyone, uh, the markets currently are suffering horribly, um, which was due to America mentioning that inflation rates uh, were at a 40-year high, and that resulted in them upping the interest rates to combat this. And effectively, as a result, there's a bit of a risk-off approach worldwide at the moment, right, with people valuing holding dollars directly. Harry, just wanted to jump in on the correlation point before you carry on. Not just correlated to equities, but I think highly correlated to the tech sector of the market in particular. I always had this view that these things kind of rise and fall together. It's the hot money that pumps into the tech stocks and also was being pumped into crypto. It always felt to me like the same people buying Tesla were also buying Bitcoin. And not just Bitcoin, but actually all the other coins. Because I think there was almost a different kind of buyer in the different types of coins. So I, I completely agree with that. I mean, you don't you don't hear from those people anymore because they're all working at McDonald's. No, I'm kidding. I won't use the standard Twitter joke. But, um, you know, the point is that it is highly correlated with the tech sector in particular. So, yeah, that thesis just hasn't worked at all. Yeah, ab- absolutely, Ghost. Uh, effectively, it's, it's disposable income. It's once uh, people get their stimulus checks as happened uh, during COVID or as there's extra money to throw around, where do you put it? You put it into the hottest um, stocks or commodities. And in this case, that is a combination of crypto and tech stocks, which is why there's such a high correlation. So when these tech stocks fell um, and when the markets in general got hit, so did crypto. So it's not that surprising that there was a fall in crypto, in my view. It has been a bit surprising how drastic that fall has been. Yeah, I want to jump in here, Harry, because I, I think my line of questioning is going to take us maybe a level below the, the absolute macro risk assets correlation point. I want to hone in specifically on what's happened in the crypto ecosystem. And the reason why I want to do this is because it ties in very nicely to a line of questioning that we had had on one of the previous shows with yourselves. And that is that Underlying this on a structural basis, there have been some material changes in the crypto space. Now, specifically from the last time we spoke to you to now, there have been the failure of several counterparties. There have been the failure of certain stable coins. And why this has a material bearing on on where this discussion goes is that a lot of your solution depends on those counterparties. I remember asking a specific question around your comfort with the counterparties you deal with, the exchanges you deal with as well. And some of that has broken in the crypto space. The trust of the system, which ironically, you know, in blockchain, this was all about not trusting a centralized system. And I think it ran away from the intent uh, of of what crypto originally was supposed to be cryptocurrency. And there was a lot of hubris that crept into the space. I think you guys were very adept in that you specifically focused on Bitcoin and I think Ethereum or Ether at one point in time. I, I stand corrected. Maybe you can correct me on that. But sticking to the known coins rather than some of the more peripheral stuff that crept in, as well as maybe some insights on structurally, in your view, what's changed? 
who's failed, what does the failure of certain stable coins mean for your space, and how does that fall into exercising the crypto arbitrage strategy, which thus far has actually proven to be non-correlated to risk assets in general? Yeah, Mo, I'll, I'll uh, run through that question um, in parts. So let's start off with what are the coins that we use? We use two coins. The first is Bitcoin and the second is USDC, which is a stable coin. Now, obviously, uh, we got a bit of a, well, we would have got a bit of a fright when uh, another stable coin, UST, failed. It would have typically made us reflect, except that we had preempted this beforehand. We actually knew that UST was bound to fail. And the reason for that is actually quite simple. It was a stable coin that wasn't actually backed by dollars. It wasn't collateralized by dollars. It was collateralized by cryptocurrency, a combination of a little bit of Bitcoin, but mainly their cryptocurrency, their native coin called uh, Luna. So you had Luna and a bit of Bitcoin backing this, which simply made no sense to us. You could get the stable coin, but if the cryptocurrency underlying it failed, so did the stable coin. And that's exactly what happened. This was the fifth biggest stable coin. So people didn't think it was possible, but ultimately it was, it happened. And it's why we would have never used a stable coin like that and didn't. Instead, we use the stable coin of USDC, which is widely regarded as the safest and most collateralized stable coin out there. So, and the reason for this is because it's collateralized 100% by dollars, 20% of that is cash, and 80% of that is US Treasury bonds, both of which are extremely low risk, highly liquid assets. And that's why we used USDC to perform our arbitrage. Mo, it's extremely important to vet your counterparties because that's the only real risk that remains in the arbitrage. We've already hedged out the market risk. The only remaining risk is the counterparty risk, be it third party counterparty locally or abroad. So, Effectively, once we made sure that and did our due diligence to ensure those were as safe as possible, we feel this is one of the lowest risk investments in the market. Yeah, and Harry, I mean, for the listeners' benefit, I recall us sitting over a dorky Sunday morning game of chess and an eggs Benedict months ago, months and months and months ago, talking about this point. So, I mean, yes, that is a view you've had for a very long time now, um, to your absolute credit. And yeah, I guess that's the that's the thing with the way you guys run Future Forex. You know, I think you you've managed to navigate an environment that was fraught with risk. Even though an arbitrage by definition is supposed to be a risk-free trade or a very very low risk trade because you can never be completely risk-free at the very least you've got counterparty risk. But the point is there's just so many things to worry about in this space. I think you've done a great job of actually, you know, guessing where those issues might be and then mitigating them accordingly, you know, as a matter of your business practice actually. Thanks, uh, Ghost. I appreciate that. And it has been something we've put a lot of focus on. Uh, after hedging the market risks, both the currency risk and the cryptocurrency risk, um, and ensuring that clients have no exposure to either, the next thing to do was obviously to ensure that any potential failures were as low probability as possible. And we've now done so by using the top third parties throughout the entire process. So something I would like to ask you is what improvements, if any, have you made to the process since we last spoke to you? Because for those who are interested, I mean, you can go back you know, go onto the Magic Markets website or search the shows on Spotify or wherever you listen, you know, you'll see 
that uh, the Future Forex team, and specifically Harry's joined us more than once. I think this is your third time now. So what have you changed, if anything, or what have you enhanced in the process, you know, without getting too technical, but something that'll help people understand what you do? Yeah, in a nutshell, Ghost, um, we trade both USDC and Bitcoin. Now, I can't remember if we were already trading Bitcoin at the time I last spoke to you, but assuming we had been, um, what we've now done is enhanced the number of Bitcoin we hold. So effectively, to make this arbitrage as um, efficient as possible, we need to hold Bitcoin, which we borrow from a third party. Um, and as we buy the Bitcoin abroad, we immediately sell it in South Africa to ensure there's no risk. This forms part of our hedged uh, solution. But previously, we had uh, a certain number of Bitcoin. And now we've got to a point where we've got more Bitcoin than could possibly be required, such that we can trade effortlessly at any point of the day at any time such that if ever there's a spike no matter be it uh, 7 a.m 4 30 p.m uh, whatever the time is as long as the bank's open which is from 7 a.m to 5 p.m we will be able to capitalize on that spike by buying abroad and selling in south africa simultaneously so harry if anyone's worried about the longevity of your business you know you have to keep it open because now you hold a whole lot of bitcoin and the only way to get a return from those bitcoin now is to have arbitrage clients because clearly you've probably bought them at much higher prices than it's worth now so i feel like you you have to stick it through now as a business because uh, you've just got to do something with all those bitcoins you're holding uh ghost luckily we actually borrow the bitcoin which was one of our best uh, business decisions was to ensure that we don't take any of the risk ourselves because much like we don't want our clients to take crypto risk we don't want to take it ourselves either okay that makes sense so uh, no one's taking crypto risk here it's all perfectly hedged and your side included fair enough i think that's an important point to make right is because we're talking about crypto arbitrage here. We're not talking about directional bets on crypto. We're not talking about being long, being short. There's no laser eye nonsense in this. It's about a market inefficiency that is being exploited. You know, those, are, those in my view, are the best kind of trades to put on. And I guess the beauty is that you're able to cycle this. That's, again, for our listeners who have missed the previous shows. Please go and check them out. You can find them on our website. Harry, where I want to go with this is that what has changed with regards to the spreads? Because your, your crypto arbitrage really depends on those spreads. And I remember having this discussion, you know, back when Bitcoin was a lot higher than it is right now. And have those spreads widened? Have they narrowed? Has the crash in crypto as a whole um, effectively limited some of the traffic that you're seeing or liquidity that you're seeing in markets, either globally or in South Africa. I think those are all very important for me to understand because those are the underlying market dynamics. If you're not worried about the direction, certainly on an arbitrage, you are worried about liquidity in the markets you operate in. You are worried about are the spreads wider or narrower and can you execute on them as efficiently as you've been able to do so in the past? Mo, it's a great question. And surprisingly, the crash in Bitcoin didn't actually affect uh, the demand in South Africa as much as we thought it would. We thought it would result in less demand in South Africa, a heavy narrowing of, of the spreads. But what actually happened is the spread remained relatively constant. What affects the spread more than the Bitcoin price is actually the Rand dollar. So the stronger the dollar becomes, the lower the spread becomes. And the weaker the dollar is or the stronger the Rand is, the better the ARB becomes. Now, at any point, the ARB is profitable. We'll take now as an example. With the RAND sitting at an extremely weak price of around 16.4, 16.5 to the dollar, even at this rate, spreads are sitting at about 1.8, 1.9, 2%, um, which is low, 
but not um, but not unprofitable. When the RAND strengthens, spreads tend to sit closer to the 3% mark. So typically the spread remains between 2 and 3% uh, and is very much correlated to how strong the RAND is. Harry, you, uh, maybe this is a cheeky question from my side, but I mean, so I understand the range within which the spreads have been operating. I find it fascinating that they're correlated to the, the dollar and exchange rate. Uh, not, not surprising, but certainly fascinating. At what level does it become sub-economical? Because remember, I understand this, and maybe for our listeners who are not familiar with it, it's worth mentioning, is that you are still crossing a Forex double, and then you're crossing potentially a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency double. So at what point does that become uneconomical? And do you generally see that lack of an economic trade in the arbitrage space from the FX side of things or from the crypto side of things? So Mo, what helps us in this regard is that our fee structure is a zero management fee structure. We don't take a cent in management fees. Instead of that, we take a percentage of profits um, from the client's trades, which helps because it means that when the spread narrows, uh, there's no, our, our fee isn't going to affect it. It's going to narrow with the reduction in profit, which is great. It means that the only thing we're really looking at until it becomes sub-economical sub is the third party costs. And our third party costs, depending on how much you invest, range between as low as 0.2% all the way up to about 0.7%. 0.7% um, on 100,000 Rand, which is our minimum investment amount, and 0.2% on, call it a million Rand. And then it obviously uh, fluctuates in between that um, on sort of a sliding scale. So the 2% mark, while it sounds small, even with 100,000 Rand, you've still got 1.3% to play with um, at that rate. So uh, we're quite far away from um, this being suboptimal in truth. Harry, I'd like to ask you something that maybe talks to your background as an actuary, which I think is worth mentioning, because um, I think there's a, the truth of it is that in crypto, you know, everyone always gets scared that there's an Instagram scamster around the corner, and that's the furthest thing, uh, you know, from you um, as a highly qualified professional who's built a really good business here. And I just wanted to ask you if there's been any changes in legislation or any updates. I think on one of the previous shows you joined us on, we started talking about that a little bit. And it would just be interesting to know what has happened in the past few months, if anything, around that. Yeah, Ghost. So I'll start off with uh, changes in our personal uh, position regulation-wise. Uh, we are an FSP. We're regulated by the FIC. So we're a, a financial, an authorized uh, financial service provider for currency remittance services. Um, and that gives us the credibility, which was sorely lacking in the crypto space, uh, in that people hear crypto and, as you say, they think this must be a scam. Now that we're regulated by a body, people are starting to gain a lot more trust, rightly so. And that's why we pushed to be regulated. Unfortunately, the government hasn't had uh, any update in their regulating of cryptocurrencies in general. That's something that we would really appreciate if they could give us what's called a CASP license, Crypto Asset Service Provider license, which would allow us to be regulated to hold crypto assets for clients. So right now, we don't have any regulation in that regard. So we're unregulated as is everyone else in the space, which again, creates less credibility. However, we asked, I remember us actually talking about this on the previous show, where we asked them, please, can we be audited, which has now happened, we've successfully passed the audit from Mazars to gain credibility in our own right. Yeah, full credits, I must say, what you guys have certainly been doing is trying to build credibility in a space that is notorious for not having it. And uh, I think that talks to the way you've built the business. I mean, certainly from your, you know, the last couple of times you've joined us on the show, it's always been about building something sustainable, something that works, something that has the right counterparties. I mean, I can 
I can certainly say if anyone listening to the show, we've had a number of people who have sent us mails and said, you know what, I found out about crypto arbitrage through Magic Markets. I've tried it and it's, uh, you know, it really works. And I know that sounds like those awful tweets, you know, that really get super irritating under every financial mail post of someone who's swearing by this person who helped them save money on crypto. It's nothing like that. These are real listeners. These are real people, people I know personally who have tried it and uh, and had great success with it, you know, which is, uh, which is great. It really does work. And I think it brings returns to a portfolio that otherwise would be deep in the red right now, like almost everyone is. I mean, commodities got murdered today. There really is nowhere to hide at the moment. Uh, gold actually has kind of gone sideways, which will make Mo feel good. Not gold miners, might I add. We've uh, long-standing listeners of uh, Magic Markets will know this, that Mo holds the shiny yellow stuff and I bought the miners, which in retrospect was a bad move. He did warn me about this and he was absolutely right. Um, you know, gold has kind of gone sideways. So ironically, it has kind of done what it's supposed to and everything else has gone down. And in that environment, people who are doing crypto arbitrage are making money. I mean, that, that literally is how this works. Yeah, and, and Ghost, I think it's a good time for me to maybe chat about what the sort of returns are um, and what it's limited by. So uh, in terms of the returns, our, our average annualized return for clients is 80% per annum, which obviously sounds excessive and uh, doesn't seem to make sense when looking at the rest of the market, which is why it's important to highlight that that is limited by your foreign investment allowance and foreign exchange control. So what really happens here is that because of these limits on how much you can take out the country, which is 11 million rand per person per year, you're kind of limited to between 100 and 200,000 rand profit uh, per annum per person. So while these returns are exceptionally high, they are limited. It's not something you can retire on and uh, decide if I can make 80% per annum, I'll put all my money in that. Uh, the truth is that once you hit 11 million rand cumulative, you are done for that year and you have to wait till 2023 to go again. But as a kicker in your portfolio, I don't see any reason not to do it. So let's unpack that 80% quickly because someone listening to this might be going, hang on, how did you get 80% from 200K divided by 11 million? Now the point is you're cycling money. So it's not that you need 11 million, right? It's that you need a couple of hundred grand as a sort of minimum, I would think. And you are cycling that over and over again. Is that right? Yeah, that's spot on, Ghost. Our minimum investment amount is 100,000 Rand, which means you'd do 110 cycles with that 100,000 Rand, which would cap your 11 mil. If you put in 200K, it would be 55 cycles, etc. Yeah, I just want to touch on that point as well, Harry, because I mean, the, the fact is that 80% also depends on how much you're making on every cycle. So if, for example, you're doing it when the spread's at like 3%, happy days. You know, if you do lots of cycles at 3%, your return's going to be supercharged. If you do quite a few cycles at a compressed spread of 1.5%, that return's going to be substantially lower. So I think that's an important point to note as well. Just again, for those unfamiliar with how this works, I think we're familiar because we've had you on the show, we've discussed that. Harry, I'm assuming that's still very much the case. Just a quick one, an additional question to that is... Incidentally, what's the sweet spot? I keep asking this question, but the sweet spot really depends on where your spreads are. And I mean, the 11 million's set in stone. So that means that if you have that sweet spot amount, you're only going to be able to cycle it a certain number of times until you utilize, assuming you utilize the full 11 million. If someone wants to travel overseas and they're taking out a million bucks, that's also going to come out of that 11 million, if my understanding is correct. So keep that in the back of your mind. But Harry, maybe a quick comment on what's that sweet spot look like right now? Mo, so the more you invest, the more you'll make as a percentage uh, per trade. And the reason for that is because of fixed costs. So as an example, sending the money out the country, we use Mercantile Bank, which is the business division of Capitec Bank. 
They charge 500 grand Swift fee to send your money out the country, which means that if you put in a million rand, that percentage is only 0.05%. However, if you put in 100,000 rand, that's 0.5%, which is 10 times as high in percentage terms. So in terms of sweet spot, the more you put in, the more money you'll make in truth. And for those that have the capital lying around, we recommend 400,000 Rand plus as a great amount to put in. However, for those that don't want to put that much in, either due to wanting to try out the process before throwing that much money at it, or because they don't have that much in liquid assets, 200,000 is a strong amount to go in with uh, in terms of sweet spot. 100,000, your returns are going to be quite substantially reduced by that 0.5%. So while you'll make very healthy and very strong profits, it won't be quite as strong as the 200 to 400,000 mark. And onto your second question relating to spreads, um, a spread of 2% versus 3% would obviously result in a different uh, amount per trade. When I mentioned the 80%, I'm looking at our average return since inception. So I'm looking at every trade we've done for every client, uh, what that comes to, and it comes to 80% per annum. However, as you said, Sometimes spreads are going to be better, sometimes they're going to be worse. And that's why we like to target a net return of between 1% and 1.5% per trade, where those with bigger amounts, a million or so, can quite easily target 2% per trade, um, if, since they only have to do 11 cycles over the entire year. So a couple of practical things I also want to point out before we start to wrap up the show. So the one is, if you do this properly over 11 million rand, by the time you paid your taxes, you can afford that solar system attached to a fancy battery that now takes you off grid. So if that isn't motivation to think about doing some crypto ARB, I don't know what is. Mo's been rudely reminded of load shedding in his week in Johannesburg so far. <laughs> but moving on from that, only natural persons can do this. So companies don't have an annual allowance. So you can't do it in your PTY limited that you, you know, run your business through. But it does mean that every adult in the house can do it. Um, I think, Harry, there is some kind of practical challenge around, you know, once you go over and above the million rand mark, which is your no questions asked, you know, overseas fund money allowance, um, then you need to start proving that you've got like a certain level of assets, don't you, in order to get the approval for the remaining 10 million. And that's where it starts to get a little bit trickier, isn't it? Yeah, so Ghost, that's 100% correct. The first million you can take out, no questions asked. The remaining 10 requires clearance from SARS. Now, we do this free of charge as a complimentary service within Future Forex using our in-house tax team and partner tax practitioner. And in doing so, we're able to get it in the fastest time and the most efficient way to ensure that you can get through as much of your 11 million as possible, if not all of the 11 million. So it is true that you are reliant on SARS uh, granting these in sufficient time. But with our expertise, we're able to do it in about two weeks per application, uh, which is long, but not as long as other people would take. Okay, so interestingly enough, if you're going to do it at 100k per time, you probably won't get through your 11 million in a year, right? Which is part of why bigger amounts are more efficient in general. Not only do you get a better percentage return each time, but your absolute return in a calendar year is more. That's right. But something that I do need to explain a bit further is that even if you give us 100,000 Rand to invest, let's say you've got another 700,000 Rand sitting in your share portfolio and another 100,000 Rand in a unit trust, let's say. 
the application size will actually be a total of 900,000 Rand because you'll have 700,000 in your share portfolio. You'll have 100,000 Rand in your unit trust and you'll have 100,000 Rand with us. You put all three of those together and that forms your application size. So it's not only what's invested with us that becomes an application, but you are right that the more you have in liquid assets, the more you're able to get through your 11 million. And then how does it work when you have a spouse? So let's say that a lot of the assets are held by one, but you'd like to do it for both adults in the house, for example. How does that work with SARS? Will they take into account like the household assets? I'm guessing not. Or how would you, how do you get around that to get through what is then a household limit of 22 million, which is starting to become serious money if you can earn two or 3% on that? Well, this is something that's fantastic in our system because spousal donations are tax-free and completely allowed. What essentially happens is that the husband, let's say, will take all the assets and apply with that and get through their 11 million and then send all those assets tax-free as a donation to their wife who will do the exact same thing. So getting through 22 million rand if you have sufficient liquid assets isn't actually that tough and is done by a lot of our clients who double that 100 to 200,000 rand which I was speaking about for their household. You just got to be careful what your prenup says, I suppose. Otherwise, you can create other problems for yourself <laughs> in the process of trying to get some crypto arb. Not that That's one thing that's not an arbitrage, that's for sure, <laughs> if it goes wrong. Harry, thanks. It's been fascinating. I think what's interesting for me is we've actually touched on a couple of other interesting points which we haven't covered in previous shows, specifically on, on Ghost's last couple of questions. I find it fascinating with regards to utilizing the spousal investment allowance as well, which, which I mean, obviously, this has come through in terms of your client base because those clients have successfully cycled through their 11 million and then move it across to the other person. So that's, that's fascinating. Unfortunately, that's what we have time for. But Harry, just from Magic Markets, again, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, thanks for sharing your insights. And, you know, I, I always say that when there's volatility in markets, that means opportunity. Uh, I certainly hope that that translates into opportunity in the crypto ARB space. I know you're kind of agnostic to the direction in the markets, uh, but certainly, you know, as we go through this, I would love to have you back on the show as this market evolves, maybe at some point in time in the future, maybe we're having a very different discussion. We don't know where crypto goes from here, but I think the key point is that if you're in an uncorrelated strategy, regardless of the asset class, that's really the winner in this particular space. So thanks so much from, from my side. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's always great to chat to the two of you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.